Welcome to the Majestic Truth Podcast. Join us as we delve into the mysteries of the universe, explore the unexplained, and shed light on some of the most important events that have occurred and are occurring in our world today. Get ready to open your mind, expand your horizons, and discover the extraordinary. This is the Majestic Truth Podcast. And now your host, Michelle. Welcome aboard, Truth Seekers. Fasten your seatbelts and prepare for an unforgettable ride. Together we'll question, explore, and embrace the majesty of truth. I'm so grateful you are here today. Before we kick off the show, head on over to MajesticTruth.com forward slash episode three. That's MajesticTruth.com forward slash episode three. And grab the downloadable that has a brief overview of this particular case file. Now, today is a continuation of episode two about Barney and Betty Hill's abduction. So our last episode, we covered really Barney's recollection before he heard his hypnosis tapes. This episode is going to cover Barney and Betty's missing time that they recovered through regressive hypnosis. So quick summary. Just a recap. September 19th, 1961. Barney and Betty Hill traveling along Route 3 in New Hampshire on their way back from vacation. They hear thumping on the trunk of their car coming from a UFO that's been following them. Their next recollection occurred after traveling an additional 35 miles without really remembering doing so. They knew something strange had happened to them and reported this to the Air Force. Barney and Betty go and seek Dr. Benjamin Simon for treatment because Barney's suffering from a lot of anxiety, Betty's having crazy dreams, and Dr. Simon puts them both under hypnosis to fill in the gaps of their time loss on that fateful night in 1961. Now remember the key factors of the case. We've got number one, loss of time. Number two, marks in the trunk of the car. Number three, Betty Hill takes a lie detector test and passes. Number four, Barney and Betty Hill hypnosis tapes. And last but not least, the Betty Hill star map. Number five, the Betty Hill star map. All right, let's load up some of these audio sound bites. I think we would all like to hear more from Barney and Betty. Here are some clips from the Alan Douglas show from 1966. Betty and Barney described their abduction now, this interview occurred after they underwent hypnosis treatment. In the last episode, we talked about what they remembered before they underwent hypnosis treatment and heard the tapes from it. So we played clips from Barney before he had heard his hypnosis tapes where he underwent regressive hypnosis and recovered his lost memories. So take us through this. Barney, when did this event occur? September 19, 1961. Where were you? Well, uh, Betty and I were returning from a vacation trip in Canada, and uh, we had left Montreal, Canada, arrived in uh, New Hampshire, uh, across the Canadian, uh, American-Canadian border, uh, about 9.30, close to 9.30 o'clock p.m., and we stopped in a small town, border town, called Coldbrook, New Hampshire, uh, and we had a refreshment with coffee and uh, and 
and uh, hamburger, and we left approximately 10 o'clock shortly after 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, when we, traveling south on Route 3, arrived in an area called Lancaster, New Hampshire, Betty called my attention to uh, uh, an object called a star that she had been watching because she had noticed it, and she called my attention to it. But she could better tell what she had seen because this would have been uh, my first introduction to uh, this star at all. Betty, can you describe what you saw? Uh, it was, first of all, it was a beautiful night. Uh, it was a harvest moon, and it was quite bright. And right down in the lower left-hand corner of the moon was a large star, which I learned later was the planet Jupiter. And suddenly there appeared above this star a much larger star, which I had not been there, and then suddenly I saw it. And as I was watching, this star seemed to be getting larger and brighter. Um, <laughs> wow. So Betty goes on to describe how she keeps watching and then notices it appears to move. So they decide to stop, get out of the car with the binoculars and check it out. Now they see this object coming toward their car, so they return to the car and start driving. They describe this object as clearly now following them, and they're both very alarmed by this. Yeah. At this point, they know it is definitely not a star. So they pull over again because Barney just needs a logical explanation for this. This is where we heard on our last episode that Barney crosses the highway to get a better view with his binoculars of the craft that is now hovering over this field. He sees figures behind this huge plate of glass surrounding the ship. You know, kind of like a windshield, I think, just surrounding the whole ship. This is when Barney runs back to the car yelling to Betty, Oh my God, they're going to capture us. So now Barney starts talking about what happens next and describes that series of beeps and the car vibrating. When I began driving down the highway, the object I thought shifted overhead and uh, there was a series of beeps and Betty was saying, I don't see it, I don't see it. And there was a series of beeps, beep, 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 beep. And the car vibrated very subtly. Again, if you could just picture... This moment, you're back, you're way back from vacation. You're with your husband. Now there's this massive craft flying over top of your car and thumping the trunk of the car. What? I'd be freaking out. So Barney is now asked if he could sense where the vibration was coming from. I felt it with my hands on the steering wheel. I felt it tingling on the steering column. Betty uh, has mentioned that well, she hasn't mentioned it yet, but she has told me that she reached across the dash panel, and we all wondered, well, where's this uh, subtle vibration coming from? It was not a violent vibration. Yes. Uh, the vibration was much, uh, the description I have given, is like a tuning fork being dropped and placed against one's arm. Yes. And that's just a subtle vibration. And this is the way the car uh, vibrated from the beeping sound that we heard. So the host now asked Betty, what she saw and felt when Barney left the car to go look at the UFO in the field. She also describes the beeping and the feeling of electric on the metal of the car. Well, my first thought was, well, let me say, first of all, I have had no fear whatsoever up to this point. Uh, 
I was fascinated by this, and I had a great deal of curiosity. When Barney stopped the car, he stopped it right directly in the middle of the highway. Yes. And so when he went out into the field, uh, I was being in the car, and I was watching in case of traffic, any car coming along. Yes. Then I would uh, drive the car over to the side of the highway. Yes. So I was sitting there waiting for him, and I kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and he didn't come back. And it was at this point uh, I began to get quite upset, and uh, I found out later under the hypnosis that uh, I became so upset I was uh, almost shrieking for him to come back to the car. Yes. And that if he did not hurry up and come back, I was going to go out and get him myself. And I then opened, started, well, the door was open on the driver's side. Yes. And I started to open it more, and I was going to slide out and go out into the field after Barney when I heard him running back to the car. And then this is when he uh, got into the car and said that they were going to capture us. And uh, he was sort of a pet. He was sort of hysterical. He was very upset. Yes. And he immediately started driving the car. Uh, you know, he was trying to escape. Mm -hmm. And it was, and, but he was also telling me to look out and see if I could see them. Yes. Saying that they were directly overhead. And I put the car window down and I stuck my head out the window and looked down. And I couldn't see anything. And so then I put the window back up, and it was just when I had completed doing this that we heard the beeping on the trunk of the car, and the car vibrated. And I was touching the metal, because I kept thinking, well, this is some kind, something electrical, and possibly there would be electricity. Maybe a, I could feel a shock yeah. from the metal of the car, but there was nothing. Notice when she said she looked out the window and couldn't see anything. And that's probably because the ship was huge. It was directly above them, so they couldn't see anything at all. Probably couldn't even see the sky. So here's a quick clip on the time loss. Barney states how a trip that should have taken three to four hours took much, much longer. They lost approximately two hours of time. Here's what Barney has to say about that. That when we arrived in the city of Portsmouth, uh, it was uh, the dawn. It had, uh, well, it was daybreak. And uh, the, uh, the sun was coming up. You know, it was not night any longer. Now, this is the trip. Uh, it's approximately 170 miles from Colville, New Hampshire, to Portsmouth. Yes. And the speed of the highway is 50 miles an hour. So we don't that it should have taken us, oh, I should say, at least three to four hours to get home. Mm -hmm. uh, Which would have led you home about midnight. Yes. Well, no, we left, at, we left Colebrook at 10 o'clock. We should have arrived, I would say, around 2 o'clock in I'm the sorry, morning. 2 a.m., right. Yes, but when we arrived, it was after 4, closer to 5, mm -hmm. when we arrived in Portsmouth. So now Barney talks about how Betty was determined, when they got home, to not bring anything inside from the car. He mentions how Betty didn't want the car refrigerator brought inside that had fresh food in it. This is very odd. Betty was very determined that I not bring the car refrigerator we had with food in it, uh, fresh food that is, 
not that I would not bring it into the house, that I would carry it around to the back stoop and place it there because she wanted to discard all this food. And I wondered why. And she just uh, felt that she didn't want it in the house and we shouldn't eat it. Very strange. Very, very strange. Now the Hills go inside and decide they feel unclean and they need to get cleaned up. We entered the home and we felt unclean more than just the uh, accumulation of dirt and grime one would get from a trip, yeah. but we felt uh, foiled, uh, in a foiled kind of uncleanliness. Yeah. Uh, and I uh, went into the bathroom took a mirror and examined my body for no reason. I wasn't looking for anything, yeah. but I just felt as if something had touched me and I wasn't sure what it was. And I wanted to look around and see, and I didn't see or find anything. So the Hills go to sleep and awoke a few hours later and both vowed to never tell anyone about this encounter. But they should draw a picture of what this thing looked like and compare their drawings. And when they did, they were very similar. So now Betty decides to call her sister and tell her about it. <laughs> I mean, how can you not? You have to tell somebody. So there goes the vow, right? But how could they not? It was just so extraordinary. I mean, I would have to tell my brothers and my mom too. It's like I wouldn't be able to contain myself if I was on a trip from home from vacation with my family and not tell my mom and my brothers what had just happened to me, especially something this extraordinary. So Betty's sister tells her to go out to the car and use a compass on the trunk to see if it does anything. And they have a compass because they're campers and love the outdoors, etc., etc. I guess some had asked them at the time, why did they have a compass and why did they have binoculars? As if this is a strange thing, right? I mean, that. Uh, I don't think there's anything strange about somebody having a compass and binoculars, but that's just me. I mean, most of us today have access to a compass via our smartwatches or our smartphones. And you may be an avid camper. I know I love camping. Well, glamping is what I call it um, uh, in a fifth wheel or a travel trailer. But um, having a compass nowadays is, I mean, we all have it. You wear a smartwatch, you've got it. You got a smartphone, you've got it. So here's what Barney has to say about this. There on the trunk of the car were very large, shiny spots about the size of silver dollars. Now these spots were the same color of the car, because this has been a misconception. Mm. Some people have thought that they were different in color, but it was the same color of the car, uh, only as if it had been highly polished, uh, just in a circle of polish. I see. Uh, and there must have been around 15 to 20 of these spots in no particular pattern, just spotted throughout the trunk. Around the trunk area? Yes. Mm. And when placing the compass over the spots, the compass would revolve very erratically. The reason I wasn't too interested about taking the compass out because I knew that a car would invariably or any kind of metal of this type would attract uh, the magnet magnet of the uh, compass yeah. toward it. Yeah. So I didn't find anything too uh, upsetting about that, except that when uh, putting the compass over the spots, then it would erratically evolved. Yes. So Betty then decided there's only one thing to do with this. Uh, that is to notify Peace Air Force Base, which is a SAC base in our town, in our area. Mm -hmm. And uh, she called. I told her, well, okay, you may, but uh, you mustn't give uh, my name or tell anything about me. 
Well, this is ridiculous on my part because obviously she had to say that her husband was with her on vacation. Yeah. And uh, their next, uh, after questioning her, their next action would have been, well, now let us speak to your husband. Yeah. <laughs> and so I then got involved. Okay, so seeing how this compass reacted to the trunk of the car was really the last straw to just say, look, we got, I, I got to tell somebody, Barney, you know, so um, I'm calling the Air Force and I'm going to let them know. Okay, so now we're going to jump ahead in the interview to when the host, Alan Douglas, asked Barney and Betty about what they discovered with their regressive hypnosis and what they learned had happened to them during this period of time that was roughly two hours that Betty and Barney recovered through hypnosis. So just as a recap, all of these sound bites are from the Alan Douglas show in 1966. So Douglas is asking them to reconstruct those missing two hours. And Barney takes us back to the field when he saw the beings on the craft and he locked eyes. And here's what Barney has to say. Now, under regressive hypnosis, it seemed as if I was being compelled to come closer to this craft, actually being told to come close to the craft. Yeah. Now, we have to realize that the craft is approximately 100 feet uh, away from me up in the air. It's not on the ground at this point. Mm-hmm. And yet, there was this kind of communication that I was receiving. Plus, I had my binoculars up to my eyes, and I was also told to keep them there, not take them away. Mm-hmm. I pulled them somehow, I, uh, well, the, the uh, tapes of the hypnosis were very emotional, and I screamed and pulled the binoculars from my eyes, and I also broke the straps. Now, I failed to mention that when we returned to Portsmouth, later I was looking at my binoculars, I noticed the strap uh, was broken, mm-hmm. and I wondered if Betty had somehow broken the straps, and then I questioned my sons and asked if they had broken my straps. I never knew all those months until now regressed back to that period standing in the field and then pulling the binoculars from uh, my eyes with such force, they parted, the straps parted from around my neck. Okay, so, whoa, this is nuts. So Barney was being told to keep looking at the being in the craft through the binoculars and he had to, with force, pull the binoculars from his face with such force that he broke the strap. So now Barney recalls that he returned to the car and drives and departed Route 3 to some desolate road. Now this map of where they departed onto the desolate road is available for download with this episode's show notes at MajesticTruth.com forward slash episode 3. So Alan asks Barney, can he recall a motive for turning off of Route 3? And Barney's response is chilling. Yes, I'm being told to. I'm actually being told. Even after returning to the car, it seems as if, and I use the words of mine, uh, if there had been damage done to me, it was done at that time I was standing in the field, because it seems as if even after returning to the car, I'm being directed to drive down to this spot and leave the highway where I made this left turn, and I continue to drive, and then suddenly there are these men standing in the road. Upon getting into this desolate area spot, I suddenly saw a huge orange glow. Now this is interesting because both Betty and I consciously remember somehow of seeing an orange ball in the road. Yes. But we could never go any further than somehow we could see and always remember 
an orange ball in the road, and our remark was that, well, it must have been the moon. And then we dismissed it. Yeah. But now, under regressive hypnosis, I can see this orange ball diminishing in bright, in from orange as a bright color, into a duller color where it eventually the light is, uh, is completely out and it's just darkness. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and these men are standing in the road, several of them, beckoning for me to halt. Well, the car stopped. Now the car stopped and I am trying to get it going and I don't get any, any ignition. The lights are out. I'm very confused. I mean, I'm in a total state of confusion. Mm-hmm. And I started to get out of the car. I had a tire iron that I had taken from the trunk of the car further back on Route 3 yes. uh, when we were watching this thing before we had arrived at Indian Head. Mm-hmm. And I tried to get to that and the door was open and there were these men standing by and I thought, well, are they going to rob me? And then one pulled me from the car, not in a violent way, but more or less as if I was hardly complying. And I stepped from the car where they literally dragged me, though I was in an upright position, down and around uh, the car and into the woods and to where there is, I could see the dark outline of a physical structure kind of thing. So you hear Barney here. I mean, he was being told. He was being told what to do, and it's as if he wasn't in control of his own body. Now, Barney, can you describe these men? When I saw them standing in the headlights of the car before the lights went out, they were in dark, uh, similar kind of garment, mm-hmm. and I called it a uniform, which I thought uh, as a pea jacket. Which is a jacket worn in the Navy, a pea jacket. So... Barney is being dragged into the woods and told that no harm would come to him and to keep his eyes closed. He was carried up a ramp and he could feel his feet bumping against the floor and some sort of door jam. At this point, Barney opens his eyes and sees this. And I opened my eyes just fleetingly and I could see this corridor uh, that curved around the uh, inside of the grass where the rooms were in on the inner side of the corridor. Yes. I was carried past one door into another door, and there was this room with a pie shape, uh, as I described it, much like a pie uh, with the point of the pie cut off. Mm-hmm. And there was just one table that was very small for my uh, body. I'm about five foot eight, where I was, I lied down. I, 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 was, I got onto the table myself, <clears throat> And I am continually hearing this voice that is telling me that no harm is going to come to me. It's only a matter of a few uh, uh, tests that are going to be conducted. Just a simple, uh, more or less, remain calm and uh, it will soon be over with and I'll be about my business uh, with no damage done. Now Barney makes this comment about the communication being given to him. Of did they speak English? I don't know. I only know that I knew what was expected of me, and I complied. A, a sort of a willingness on my part and great fear and terror to comply with the belief that I had been assured that no harm was going to come to me, and I would go along with this and eventually and hopefully to be on my way. He was compelled to do this out of fear and with the hopes that if he complied, he wouldn't be harmed. Now, here's what happens next that I was placed on this table where uh, my trousers were removed and uh, my uh, shirt was pulled up toward my head 
which would have made my back, my undershirt was pulled up along with it, where my back would have been bare. Mm -hmm. And I was turned over on my back and my stomach, as well as uh, uh, while uh, I could feel uh, what I called a finger going up and down the spinal column. I could feel this. And I get to me, you know, Alan, uh, when I tell this, I still feel very uncomfortable. Jeez, who wouldn't be Barney? This is just awful. Barney now describes how he opens his eyes briefly again and describes what they look like. On this, uh, in this uh, position of being examined, uh, I opened my eyes again fleetingly because I could hear a kind of noise of, of, as if people or someone was talking. I opened my eyes and I looked and I saw these three short men. And this is when I got a good look at the face. And I immediately closed my eyes because what I saw was terrifying by our standards. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they were terrifying, uh, you see. Well, how would you describe what you saw? Uh, I saw this kind of grayish color. And this is interesting because most people, they know when you saw the little green men, and they were not green men. Mm -hmm. uh, they were a grayish, metallic kind of gray in color. And I might also say that I'm quite sure they were not wearing a mask, or rather any kind of apparatus over the head for breathing purposes, because I could see what would have been a mouth, a thin line uh, without a lip muscle, that when parting, uh, when open, there was a membrane inside that fluttered as the uh, um, really right at the end of the mouth itself. And this fluttered, and this seemed to be a way that they communicated with one another, with a very peculiar kind of mumbling, uh, humming sound. Uh, and I, I also try to give an analogy here, is the sound we have heard when someone uh, in a commercial is speaking underwater. We have all been acquainted with that. Yes. Uh, in cartoons where you hear uh, uh, something underwater and it has that kind of a sound. Gurgling sound. A gurgling sound. And this was very baffling, and the uh, head, was the, uh, the cranium was very large, uh, diminishing down toward the chin into a very small chin. Mm -hmm. And the eyes were very, very uh, distinguishing because uh, they uh, were very large at the front of the face, but only continued back. I did not notice ears. I did not, uh, I can't remember seeing ears. Yeah. But the eyes continued back where you might say our ears are located, which would have mean, meant that uh, they were quite long and large in size. I said that they were not like an oriental eyes, but yet we might say that we would think of an oriental eye. About how tall were these men? Uh, they were approximately, I would say, four and a half to five feet in total height, mm -hmm. no taller than that. And uh, also that there was the absence of uh, the nose as we understand it, but just the nostrils and two slits. Now, this description sounds to me like the description of the greys, the grey aliens that have been described by other abductees through the years. So now Betty is asked, how did she describe them under hypnosis? I think the, uh, probably the most uh, significant factor to me would be the eyes. Again, it sounds a lot like when people describe the grace. Betty and Barney go on to describe some painful, painful procedures that were done to them. Just scary stuff. One thing noted by Betty was when she would experience pain, 
the leader of the beings put his hands above her eyes and the pain went away and she didn't feel pain again. Powerful stuff. Now Betty speaks to the leader and here's what she said about their exchange. I asked the leader where he came from and he stepped over by the wall and put his hand on the wall and these panels slid back and a map came out which I believe would be called a sky map. Mm -hmm. And while the map was exposed, he asked me if I knew where the Earth was. And, uh, of course, I had to tell him I did not know there. <laughs> and he acted a little uh, disgusted with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did get a look at the map. He did not say just where he came from mm -hmm. on it. But uh, I noticed certain things about it. I did ask him, there were some lines, uh, solid, heavy solid lines, mm -hmm. and then there were lighter solid lines and broken lines. Yes. And I asked him the meaning of these, and he said the heavy lines were trade lines. And the uh, light lines were places that they go sometimes. He but the broken were... lines were expeditions. I see. Trade lines. Trade lines. This is the map that Betty would draw, the Betty Hill star map factor number five that we talked about the star system that we knew nothing about until almost 10 years later so alan says to betty and barney that the air force concluded that all of this was the planet jupiter here's what betty had to say about that well they gave several uh, explanations i believe the air force has at one time or another inversion was one of them wasn't it uh, well, NICAP could have had some evidence had they investigated this case properly and looked at the trunk of Betty's car. Just saying. And how about the lie detector test and the star map? The list just goes on. For more documentation and some really fun and interactive stuff, visit MajesticTruth.com. We have put together investigator kits for various cases, and the Barney and Betty Hill abduction is our first case file. Now, these investigator kits come complete with investigator documents with more information on the case, newspaper articles, and supporting documentation and a neat case file folder that looks like it came right out of the filing cabinet of a government classified agency. We also have a really great shirt that comes in black or white, depending on the kit you choose, and it has the Betty Hill star map incorporated into the shirt design. What I like about it is it can really be a conversation starter because you will get inquisitive minds asking, what the heck is on your shirt? And you can launch into discussing the facts behind Betty's star map and the story behind the Hill's abduction. We have an elite investigator kit as well that comes with a neon green acrylic card. It's engraved with the case file information on it. And also available for purchase is a really neat case file card holder that will hold 12 case file cards. So as each new case file is released, you can collect these acrylic case file cards with your nifty holder. Anyways, check it out at MajesticTruth.com. The um, neon green acrylic card, it like glows in the dark. It is so cool. It's, it's just, it's really neat to have. Um, so check it out at MajesticTruth.com. All right, truth seekers. That concludes this episode of Majestic Truth. 
I hope you've enjoyed exploring the depths of the unknown with us today. Remember, the pursuit of truth and the quest for knowledge are ongoing journeys. So stay curious, stay open-minded, and always follow your dreams and keep seeking answers. Next week, we will give a full review of the movie Accidental Truth by Ron James. This is a breakthrough documentary about UFOs that is narrated by actor Matthew Modine. The film features prominent scientists and unexpected government insiders, revealing facts about secret programs studying technology and materials recovered from anomalous incidents and what they've discovered. You can find the film on Amazon Prime. Apple TV, it's all over the place. For more information on this episode about the Barney and Betty Hill abduction and to get the downloadable for this episode, visit MajesticTruth.com forward slash episode three. Thanks for joining me, Truth Seekers. I'm grateful for every listener and humbled by every subscriber. Don't forget to mark your calendars and set your alarms because our next episode will be available next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on your favorite podcast app. Trust us, you won't want to miss it. Until then, keep your eyes on the skies, your mind open, and remember, the truth is out there. For updates, behind-the-scenes content, and a chance to engage with fellow truth seekers, stay connected with us on social media. Find us on Twitter at TruthSeekerPod, Instagram at Majestic Truth Seekers, and TikTok at Majestic Truth Seekers. Tune in next week, as we review the movie, Accidental Truth. Thanks for listening.